Good evening, everyone. Um, I am Jeffrey Regal, Interim Director of the China Studies Center here at the University of Sydney. It's my great pleasure on behalf of the Sydney Democracy Network, Sydney Ideas, and the China Studies Center to welcome Professor Yu Ping, Chair of uh, Political Sciences and Dean of the School of Government at Beijing University, as well as director of the newly founded Peking University Research Center for Chinese Politics to speak this evening on new perspectives on Chinese conceptions of power and authority. Professor Yu is no stranger to the University of Sydney, having visited us before. In 2012, many of you will recall, he delivered the well-received lecture recent developments in China's civil society. Professor Yu has written numerous works of scholarship that have been translated into English. Many of you will, I'm sure, be familiar with such works as his collection of essays, Democracy is a Good Thing, written around 10 years ago, as well as his more recent books, Governance and Rule of Law in China from 2012, Globalization and Changes in China's Governance from 2013, and Essays on Modernizing State Governance from 2015. Professor Yu has been recognized by numerous organizations, both in China and abroad, as a leading intellectual figure and a vocal advocate of democratic governance in China. As I reflect on the title of his talk this evening, Chinese Conceptions of Power and Authority, New Perspectives, without, of course, knowing exactly what he plans to say, it reminds me of several things that I otherwise associate with Professor Yu's intellect and his career. Professor Yu is not only a theorist with regard to systems of governance, he's also an historian well acquainted with Chinese, I would venture to say even traditional Chinese, conceptions of governance and politics. And moreover, he's very much taken on the role of explaining to the scholarly world outside of China, a world that remains notably uninformed about some of the oldest and most deeply rooted Chinese assumptions and beliefs, just what China is about. He is, in other words, helping to balance the tidal bore of scholarship that is flowing into China with a wave of scholarship done by himself and others in Chinese academia. This evening, we have an opportunity to witness that in action. Please join me in welcoming our distinguished guest, Beijing University's Professor Yu Kaping. Uh, thank you very much, Jeffrey. I'm very pleased to be here. Uh, actually, uh, exactly the same place four years ago, here uh, I met Professor John King. So also, uh, thank you very much, John King, for your kind invitation. Yes, uh, uh, exactly 10 years ago, as uh, Jeffrey mentioned, uh, I wrote and published a uh, very popular article, which is entitled, Democracy is a Good Thing. But I'm very clear that 
many people don't like democracy. For them, especially for many officials, democracy is not a good thing. But power and authority are really good things for them. I wrote and published a lot of books, papers, and articles about democracy. But very few about power and authority. So today I'm going to talk about particularly on power and authority. So please forgive me if I talk too much about it because I very few before that. Uh, yeah. So let me uh, begin. Uh, let me start by uh, explaining what connotations of power and uh, uh, authority in Chinese and Western context. The modern Chinese con uh, conception of power is Li, which consists of two characters of Quan and Li. The modern Chinese conception of authority is Quan Wei, which consists of two characters of Quan and, and Wei. Uh, uh, according to my understanding, in modern Chinese context, actually the, the conception of power and authority, according to some scholars' uh, investigation, was introduced from Japanese. So the connotations in ancient Chinese context are quite, from, quite different from ones in modern Chinese uh, and the Western context. The ancient Chinese character for Chuan is like this, Chuan. Uh, it's very difficult to, to write, to, to, uh, even to understand which has a following meaning. Because if you really want to understand what connotations of Chuan uh, Li and the Chuan way of power and authority in Chinese context, so you, you have to understand what character Chuan's meaning and what is Li's meaning and Wei is meaning. Yeah. So, so Chuan which have the following meanings in ancient Chinese context. Weight, weighing, balance, Momentum, arbitration, tactics, safety, and interim officials. So this is in China, in ancient, uh, the meaning in ancient Chinese context. And uh, Li, the ancient Chinese character for Li is the, the, the whose meaning including people's muscle, faculty of body, Cohesion, labor, momentum. And then the ancient Chinese character for we, which means dignity, influences, shock, penalty or punishment, and then fear. So if you really want to understand what's con connotations of power and authority in ancient Chinese, you have to understand what's the meaning of character of Chan, of Li, 
end of way. In ancient Chinese language, the word Quanli has two connotations. It means official positions, and it means official strength and influence. In ancient Chinese language, so the word Quanwei or authority mainly refers to powerful influences. So you can find Quanli and Quanwei in modern Chinese is quite different to what uh, meanings of uh, that in ancient Chinese. In modern Chinese language, the connotations of Quanli are completely different from the ancient context. Firstly, it refers to politically coercive strength. Secondly, it means the dominant force within certain jurisdiction. The meaning of Quanwei or authority in modern Chinese are to large extent different from those in ancient Chinese. Firstly, it means the influences and the prestige that can convince others. Secondly, it refers to somebody or something that enjoy prestige and status in a certain field. So this is the meaning of the conception Quanwei and Quanli in modern Chinese language. And then now let, uh, let us turn to, to English uh, context. So what's meaning power in English context? The English word power are derives from the French word. Uh, I can understand the, uh, the French is pouvoir or like that. Uh, pouvoir. Yeah, you, 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 like, uh, you, you understand the pouvoir. And while the letter originates from potential in Latin language. So basically, it means that one person has ability to influence another person or certain objects. However, the word power has a diversity of meanings in English. For example, Oxford English Dictionary lays out 16 meanings for the word power, while Wikipedia aims it with more than 20 meanings. The following meanings are relevant to our discussion uh, in today. The ability to do a particular faculty of body or mind, government, influence, or authority, official or legal authority, an influential person or group, a military strength, a state having international influence, and uh, physical force or, or strength. Uh, this is the English uh, meaning or connotation of power, according to Oxford English Dictionary and Wikipedia. Sorry. The meaning, meanings of authority in uh, English context include experts in certain fields, government or officialdom, administrative organs, the power to make decisions, influences, the official permits or jurisdiction.
diction. So all of these are, are connotations of uh, terms of power and uh, uh, authority in English context. So now let's to turn to the special terms or special conceptions in political science. So what's or what's the meanings uh, of power and authority as a key conceptions of political science? There are numbers of uh, definitions of power and authority. Uh, I can say almost each leading scholar or leading political scholar has their own definition of power and authority. But generally speaking, there are four definitions are very popular among our political study circle. So four. First, or definition one. Power means a sort of coercion that can change the behavior of others. Such coercion is manifested in three aspects. To collect the outcomes of others' behavior, to stop the behavior of others, and to prevent the possible behaviors of others. Definition two, power refers to the capabilities to realize certain objectives and get specific benefits as well as the resources needed to do so. Definition three, Power refers to state regime and uh, represents the coercive forces of the state, which aims to protect the interests of ruling class. For class struggle and political struggle, power is both an instrument and an objective per se. I think this is uh, a very typical Marxist view or Marxist conception of power. Division four, power is a complicated network or micro-level social structure with aim to restrain and regulate people's behavior. As a post-modernist definition, it emphasizes the micro and the structural aspects of power and represents a break from traditional and the mainstream definition for power. I, I think the uh, representative scholar for this definition uh, is a very famous French philosopher, uh, Michael Foucault. Uh, he, he said that in modern world, the whole society is a Panopticon, uh, a panopticon, is a panopticon like the the the, the prison. Oh. So, what's my understand my understanding of of power? Oh, so my definition, 
Power is a coercive force in nature. First and foremost, it is a coercive force of the state. Through this coercive force, the power holders aim to subordinate the subjects to their views. So far, the highest form of power has been state power for human society. Apart from state power, however, there exists a variety of powers in any given society. So to my understanding, in perspective of political science, essentially speaking, power means the institutionalized coercive force that aims to extract obedience from the subjects. This is my understanding of the conception of power. Now, let's turn to the definition of authority. It's very similar to the case of the conception of power. There are numbers of different uh, under, uh, uh, conceptions of authority. But typically speaking, there are three kinds of definition of authority are very popular among our political study. Definition one, authority is the cap capability to ensure the voluntary obedience of the subjects. As a classical definition for authority in political science, it emphasizes the cap capability of specific individual or organizations to extract voluntary evidence from the subjects. Division two, authority uh, refers to legitimate power. This is a prevent definition for authority in Western uh, political sciences, especially since uh, the Weibo, uh, Max Weber's explanation to legitimacy. By underlying the indivisible linkages between authority and power, this definition lays bare the fact that authority is based on power and it represents the voluntary obedience and acceptance of power from the subjects. Definition three. Authority means the influence to convince others. Similarly, underlying the voluntary obedience from the subjects, it assumes that the subject's voluntary obedience is more the result of the rational forces rather than of the power. I think uh, the, the, the uh, Hannah Arendt, I think, is a very typical uh, views of this uh, uh, conception of authority. Because uh, Hannah Arendt said, authority has vanished in the modern world. So what's my definition or my understanding of the conception of authority? Similar with power, 
authority also represents the force to extract obedience from the subjects. Although power can extract obedience in a rather direct manner, the links between authority and obedience is largely indirect, i.e. authority is based on the rational judgments of the subjects. So if power represents a direct coercive force, then authority is basically an indirect influences. In this sense, authority can be viewed as an influence to extract voluntary obedience from the subjects based on the latter's convictions. So this is what I understand the connotation of uh, power and authority in, in ancient Chinese and, uh, and the Western, uh, in the modern Chinese context, and what meaning uh, of that conception in Western or uh, in Western uh, context, or what's the meaning of uh, conception of this conception in uh, terms of political science. So now the next question is, what is the relationship between authority and power? Are there any differences between these key, the two key conceptions of power and authority? For me, the relationship between the authority and the power is really as complicated. Firstly, authority can magnify the effects of power. Without authority, the effects of power will be greatly contained. Not only is it hard to achieve intended effects, more importantly, it can even result in counterproductive effects. When faced with the disobedience of the subjects, power can hardly achieve its intended, intended effects. When faced with the resistance from the subjects, power can become counterproductive. However, if power is transformed into authority, then it can obtain the voluntary obedience from the subjects and ultimately facilitate the realization of intended effects of power. Secondly, authority can substantially reduce the costs in exercise of power. Once power cannot be transformed into authority, it will definitely engender higher costs. However, if power was successfully transformed into authority, then the costs of power in use will be greatly reduced. More authority of power and less costs in exercise of power. 
and vice versa. When the government faces immense administrative costs, it usually reflects the losing of its authority. Thirdly, authority is beyond the official position. Power is attached to the official position, while this is not the case for authority. Without formal institution authorized, power is only a merge. No official position, no power. So uh, we have a very famous Chinese saying. We say in, in, in Chinese, 人主茶凉, uh, the, the tea cools down as soon as the person is gone. So actually, that, that means the person has no influence as soon as his official uh, position has been resigned or, or get off. So that means no official position, no power. Once someone loses his or her position, then the power he or she formerly had will evaporate as a result. In, in contrast, authority could be beyond the official positions. A man with authority could influence and change the behaviors of others, even though he might have no formal positions. For, for instance, in the, in the Chinese countryside, even nowadays, many elders elites have even more authority than the official head of villages and the party secretary. Fourthly, in terms of space, authority has a much broader sphere of influence than power. If one has only power but not authority, then he can only exert influences on those who are within his jurisdiction. However, if one has both power and authority, then his influences will go beyond his jurisdiction. If a person has more authority, he will generally have a broader sphere of influences. Finally, in terms of time, the effects of authority will last much longer than power. The effects of authority will last longer than that of power. The effects of power generally rest on the positions and the term limits of the power holders. In contrast, the effects of authority are not necessarily attached to official positions. Furthermore, authority can elicit the voluntary obedience from the subjects, so its effects will be magnified as a result. Thus, the effects of authority last longer than that of power. If a person has more authority, his influence will generally last 
longer. So in, in reality, we, we usually say that sometimes the dead man even can rule a living man. Why? Because if some people have very much, had very much authority, even he died, his authority still lasts. Uh, you, you, you know, in China, Chairman Mao Zedong had, uh, had very, very, a lot of much authority. So even his authority even still now uh, exists. For example, last year, a very famous CCTV host, his name is Bi Fu Jie. I think in, in, if in Chinese you, you know uh, him very well. And uh, he just joked, and uh, no, of course criticized Chairman Mao, Mao Zedong just during his private dinner. Then some people uh, reported his public side, his criticism and joked to Chairman Mao Zedong. And he was finally asked to resign as uh, the host of the CCTV. So this is a, so even the the dead man can rule us, uh, so the living man, if he had much, much authority. So, let's turn, sorry. Uh, to Chinese history. Although, Traditional Chinese thinkers did not put forward such modern concepts like authority and power, as I mentioned. Uh, according to some scholars' uh, studies, the modern Chinese conception of power and authority introduced, well, were introduced from Japanese. And I think, uh, I guess, uh, the Japanese conception of power and authority may be introduced from the, the uh, modern Western academy. But there exi exist very similar notions in traditional Chinese political philosophy, which are manifested in the following two conceptions. Wang Dao, kingly way, and the Ba Dao, hegemonic way. So put simply, Wang Dao aims to introduce obedience through virtue and uh, Benevolence, and it is ideal ruling modality for sage-like rulers, Shenren, or, in, in, uh, or king of philosophy in terms of Plato. In contrast, Ba Dao aims to extract obedience through coercion, and it is the basic ruling morality for mediocre rulers in traditional China. The essential difference between the Wang Dao and the Ba Dao can be symbolized as volunteer obedience with forced obedience. So what's the meaning of Wang Dao and Ba Dao? Or what's the meaning of ancient Chinese conception of power and authority. Mengzi, a great Chinese thinker, uh, just a secondary to Kongzi uh, for traditional Chinese Confucius. He, he lived in 
4th century BC. Mengzi is widely recognized as a pundit of theoretical thinking of Wang Dao and Ba Dao. He not only defined the concepts of Wang Dao and Ba Dao, but also made systematically explanations. According to, to him, both Wang Dao and Ba Dao aim to extract the evidence from the subjects. But the essential difference lies in the fact that Wang Dao targets voluntary evidence, while Ba Dao tends to extract the evidence through coercive manners. For the subjects, Obin Wang Dao is amicable, while Obin Ba Dao is something aversive. The Chinese history has witnessed the concealer's debate on the merits of uh, and the short ages of Wang Dao and, and, and Ba Dao for thousands of years. Uh, there were uh, some very famous debates in traditional China. One of them is debates on Wang Dao and Ba Dao. It's a very famous debates. Uh, lasted for several thousand years. Generally speaking, Wang Dao seems to have won these debates since it is regarded by the rulers, intellectuals, and ordinary people in, in traditional China as the ideal political models as well as the core political values in Chinese culture. This is largely due to this fact that Wang Dao can more effectively defend the interests of ruling class than Ba Dao. More specifically, Wang Dao can bring about genuine and voluntary obedience, reduce the administrative costs, improve administrative efficacy, and ultimately help maintain regime stability and social harmony. So what is key of Wang Dao? The closest of Wang Dao is to win the hearts of people, of the people. If a ruler aims to introduce voluntary evidence from the ordinary people, he first and foremost must convince the people that his policies and the behavior are legitimate and appropriate. Representing their interests or the public interest, so that is something close to political identification in modern political science. As Mencius once put it, those who enjoy Dao will win the world, while those who derive it from Dao will number their days as rulers. Here, the meaning of Dao has much to do with both the view of God and the people, which is actually the legitimacy in Max Weber's work.
to win the hearts of the people. Yeah, the crucifix of the Wang Dao is to win the hearts of people. So how to win the hearts of the people? Ruler must practice virtual government. You say in Chinese, benevolent government. We say in Chinese, 仁政. And good government, we say in Chinese, 善政. As Confucius argued, government should be guided by the virtues of its rulers. Similarly, Mencius advocated that if the government is not guided by benevolence, then a society can hardly maintain stability and harmony. As long as the government is guided by virtue or benevolence, the people will volunteer follow the rulers. The essence of good government, benevolent government, is that the ruler, rulers must take people's demands into account and care about the latter's well-being, as the mentioned once preached. If a ruler cares about the well-being of his subjects, he will definitely win the hearts of the people. Of course, the most important aspects of virtual government or benevolent government for Mencius is to increase the material benefits for the people and the Wang Dao or kingly way finally leads to people's welfare. So how to realize good government or benevolent government? Or in other words, how to convince the, the poor power holder to take into account of people and practice the virtual government or benevolent government? Ancient Chinese philosophy had a, a consensus to this question. The answer is that a ruler must consistently cultivate his mind and let his virtue and the moral appealing guide the people. Put simply, nei san, inner virtue, in Chinese, nei san, could be the only way towards Wai Wang to be a sage-like king or king of philosophy. Uh, as you might know, there was a very famous or very important uh, classics, uh, uh, which is entitled Da Xue. In Da Xue, uh, there was a typical statement to describe how to get Nei San inner virtue and to, towards Wai Wang to be a king of philosophy. Uh, the, yeah, the, the following is uh, the very famous statement according to great learning. The ancients who wished to illustrate, illustrate illustrious virtues throughout the kingdom first ordered well their own states. Wish to order well their states, they first 
regulate their families, including wife, had to obey his husband, her husband. So will regulate their families. Wishing to regulate their families, they first cultivated themselves. Wishing to cultivate themselves, they first rectified their minds. Wishing to rectify their minds, they first sought to be sincere in their thoughts. Wishing to be sincere in their thoughts, they first extended to the utmost the knowledge. Such extension of knowledge lay in the investigation of things. So, Mencius actually gave his exact answer to the question of uh, raised by Plato. Why a philosophy could be a king? So according to, 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 to this is Mencius' answer to questions raised by Plato. Why a philosophy or well-knowledge scholar could be or should be a king of the kingdom? Because according to, to Mencius, things are investigated knowledge became complete. Their knowledge being completed, their thoughts were sincere. Their thoughts being sincere, their minds were then rectified. Their minds being rectified, they could be cultivated. Their persons being cultivated, their families were regulated. Their families being regulated, their states were rightly governed. Their states being rightly governed, the whole kingdom was made tranquil and happy. So this is uh, the very typical explanation by ancient Chinese philosophy to the Chinese conception of authoritarian power. But actually, at the very beginning of Wanda and Bada, or, or uh, power and authority, this key conception had been facing a lot of serious challenges. Mainly, they are facing four stern challenges at the beginning of this ancient Chinese conception. First, is Wang Dao the opposite to Ba Dao? Or, in other words, is power the opposite to authority? Is it realistic to practice Wang Dao without Ba Dao? Or, in other words, is it realistic to practice Authority without power is the ideal route towards Nei Sen and Wai Wang in the future and then sage like king feasible in practice. Finally, have ever Wang Dao has as a political ideal been appeared in China? Or it is only existed as a political idea in Confucian minds. There are 
diversity of attitudes to, to these challenges. Confucianism in Pre-Jing Dynasty argues that rulers practiced Wang Dao during the three emperor era, while Ba Dao became prevent during the spring and autumn area. The, the Pre-Jing Dynasty, a Chinese, ancient Chinese scholar, has universally acknowledged that in BC, uh, 2000 years BC, the, in, in that time, uh, when the San Wang Wu, the three emperor and the five uh, the kings, at that time, the rulers practiced the Wang Dao, and after that, the rulers practiced Ba Dao. This is uh, the Confucians in Pre-Jing Dynasty, like Mencius um, and, and Confucius. The, the most of traditional Chinese intellectuals agree that Confucianism prefers Wang Dao, while legalism, Fa Jia, prefers Ba Dao. In our traditional Chinese uh, culture, we had a saying, Ru Jia Jiang Wang Dao. The, the Confucianism prefers Wang Dao, and Fa Jia Jiang Ba Dao. Legalism prefers to Wang Dao, to Ba Dao. Therefore, Marxism, or Marxism, Chinese Marxism in modern China, China has never been genuine the politics of Wang Dao. Uh, as you might know, uh, in China, in modern China, there was a very famous writer or author, Lu Xin. Lu Xin is my same hometown from Shaoxing. Lu Xin said, in China, Wang Dao looks like opposite to Ba Dao. But as a matter of fact, they are cousins. Once there was a Wang Dao, there was always a Ba Dao in, in some way. This is Lu Xin's explanation. So what's my view? According to my understanding, Wang Dao was only an ideal in mind, but Ba Dao had long been the reality in traditional China. So Lu Xin's analysis was very incisive. It is not only congruent with the basic conception of power and authority in modern political science, but also uh, it is close to the reality of Chinese, of Chinese traditional politics. Firstly, in traditional China, authority was inseparable from power. Just as coercion was the basis for obedience, power was the basis for authority. Secondly, in traditional China, Wang Dao exists only as an ideal, while Ba Dao was a silver bullet on the ground. So, so what's the relationship between uh, of power and authority? I'm sorry. Suppose Wang Dao and Ba Dao were practiced in traditional China, but Ba Dao was basically. So for Chinese ruler, rulers were aware enough that they could not maintain their rulers 
only through Bada, or Wang Dao. So Bada was definitely indispensable as Han Xuandi, emperor of Han, frankly con confessed that my dynasty practiced both Wang Dao and Bada from the very beginning of our throne. So nevertheless, each ruler wanted to have more authority based on his power. In order to empower authority to his power, ancient Chinese ruling class established a sophisticated system of adequate rights and symbols. Let me very simply say about that. An antiquated system to strengthen authority of the rulers. The system of official rights began to form during the Western Zhou and the Spring and the Autumn periods and steadily perfected itself up until the Qing. The rituals was a basic norm for maintaining order in traditional China. So each, uh, each official rank had its ritual protocols. There were strict rulers according to official rank for such things as entrance and exits from uh, official residence, clothing and hats, number of signs and cards for external visits, the sequences for court visits, the size of seals and papers, the layout of public documents, the language for writing compositions and the layout of tombs and of death. So a lot of a uh, really com uh, complicated system of uh, the, the ritual system to strengthen the authority of the rulers. And also a social honor system to mystify power. The honors can be granted uh, both during life and after death. Uh, in ancient China, those two types were closely related to official position. Even, for example, even the death of people, the different uh, the, the words to describe the, the death of people, you, you cannot violate the, 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 this uh, norm. For example, the death of emperor was called ban. The death of minister was called home. The death of senior official was called Zhuo. The death of civil servants was called Bulu. The death of ordinary people like us was called Si Dai. So quite different. It's a very complicated system. A cultural value system to glorify power. In traditional China, the degree of official status even became the yardstick to measure culture, uh, ethical, and moral standards. The higher one's official status, it seems that the greater the amount of knowledge and the truth one can choose, and the higher one's uh, ethical and moral stand. So as the highest ruler, the empower was usually the embodiment of truth and knowledge and the representative of virtue and the nobility. So the emperor was not only the lord of the people, he was also the guide for source and the paragon of virtue. 
in traditional China. So now, what's the new relationship of power and authority in modern area? So let, let me to give my conclusive remarks. Power and authority at the age of democratization and networking, Power and authority are the core components of political life, still. The subjects, source, connections, regulations, functions, symbols, uh, modalities, and the characteristics of power and authority define the state of political life in any given society. They are also the benchmarks that distinguish the modern politics from its traditional counterpart. So what kind of relation should exist between power and authority in modern politics? What preconditions should be made in order to transform coercion-based power into voluntary obeyed authority. In a sense, the transition from traditional politics to modern politics is also shift, a shift from overriding significance of political power to the overlaying priority of civil rights such a shift fundamentally changed the source of power and authority and reshaped the institutional environment as a whole. In this sense, it also changed the mechanism through which power is to, transformed, is to, uh, to be transformed into authority. In the modern democratic politics, especially at an age of networking and globalization, both the legitimacy of public authority and of officials' personal authority have been utterly changed. To have authority among the public, an official absolutely needs to be just, integral, dutiful, law-abiding, uh, and caring as in the traditional age. But all of this should not come through values uh, mystified, mystified, uh, privilege-based, and hierarchy equality system. Instead, more transparency, equality, responsibility, democracy, and the law of law should be put into place. With the advent of the networking age and the social political progresses, power will gradually but inexorably return to society from the state. Thus, civil rights will inevitably take precedence over public power. More governance, while less government, has been the common chance for political development of human being. Governance, rather than government, will become increasingly important. Accordingly, the importance of political power will diminish while the civil rights 
will be enhanced instead. Moreover, the resources of public authority will become more diverse. Besides power, knowledge, skills, fortune, reputation, education, and especially network will become important source for authority. So this is what my understanding of very key conception of power and authority. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.